Hi, everybody. This is Chuck Sipe, Assistant Superintendent for Roxbury Schools, here with another episode of Schoolhouse Rocks, a podcast. Today, our focus of conversation is probably what will be the first of a variety of uh, connected episodes talking specifically about grading and assessment. Um, one of the most complicated topics that are currently circulating educational dialogue, um, and it's one that doesn't have an easy answer. So, I'd, I'd like to invite my guests and uh, friends here to introduce themselves, and then we're going to talk a little bit about some of the work we've started to do, recognizing that this is probably a very lengthy journey. So I'd like to everyone to introduce themselves and tell our audience what you do here in our school district. Hi, I'm Stephanie Rohde, fourth grade teacher at Jefferson. Hi, everyone. It's Lisa Bellardino, the pre-K to six humanities supervisor. Hi, I'm Kevin Cantwell, world language teacher at Roxbury High School. Hi, I'm Laura Schmidt, and I currently teach ELA. This year I have ninth grade and AP Lit Juniors. And I am Jeff Fashina. I'm the supervisor of mathematics, business, and family consumer sciences for grades 7 through 12. All right, so just to, for the sake of history, uh, three years ago, a multi-step multi process was embarked upon for the beginning of this journey, which was to establish and identify a philosophy for grading, to answer the question, what is the purpose of grading? What does it mean here in our district? And what should it mean to our students and families? And at that time, after multiple revisions, a variety of stakeholders providing input, um, the, the following philosophy was established and has ever since been published on every report card that goes home. It reads, the Roxbury School District believes the purpose of grade reporting is to communicate current student academic achievement as it relates to the mastery of standards-based curricular goals, along with additional criteria focused on attributes that influence the ongoing learning process. The entirety of this report is representative of current factors, which form a basis whereby a student's learning may be encouraged, challenged, and supported. Uh, a synopsis there, the spirit of what we were trying to accomplish is that there is much, much more that goes into the learning process than a singular letter represented by the symbols A, B, C, D, F with pluses and minuses periodically. Uh, the learning process is fluid. Uh, sometimes it is easy. Sometimes it is challenging. And it is influenced by, by a wide variety of factors, um, some of which could include effort, attitude, things like that. Um, and far too often, all of this stuff gets pushed together in what I've kind of referred to in our committee meetings as the data blender and out pushes a singular piece of information that's not quite as descriptive as we would like it to be. So with that having been said as kind of the preamble, everyone that's here with us today serves on the report card and grading committee. And we've met, I think, two or three times. We kind of meet two or three times a year um, to continue our conversations our first meeting occurred earlier this school year, uh, and our first task was to establish and discuss what do the words grading and assessment mean. And, you know, that committee is representative of K-12 to teachers in a variety of different disciplines, a variety of different grade levels. And what we really boiled it down to is that assessment is how teachers evaluate and monitor student learning in the moment in their classroom, and that grading is how they then communicate that learning and the learning process home to families and stakeholders. So having given that information, I'd like to invite everyone to kind of jump in here on the dis distinction between those two and maybe some ways that you have looked at that in your discipline, your grade, your amongst your colleagues in your school, however you have used that information thus far. 
I think one thing to keep in mind is that grading isn't essential to the instructional process. Teachers can teach without grades and students can learn without grades. Um, the importance is using assessments to improve student learning. Um, and that involves so much more than just the administration of an assessment. It requires teacher to make well-designed assessments and putting that in their process of instruction. So it's ongoing. Um, think about, we think about Thomas Gutsky's work um, using grading and reporting to enhance teaching and learning. Um, not only should it facilitate communication, but it should improve the efforts to help students be successful long-term. So having had said that, um, Laura, share a little bit about some of the things you've done in your classroom, because I know you've really kind of, alongside your with your department supervisor and your colleagues, have really worked hard in the high school, particularly the English department, to reevaluate how you um, evaluate student learning. Sorry to use two words that are the same adjacent to one another. I know that's sort of frowned upon. So over the past few years, um, it's probably been a three to five year process. The freshman PLC has really worked together to take a lot of our curriculum. We've rewritten the curriculum in the meantime, too, um, and really take a look at what assessments are the most important for each unit and then really matching what standards are the most essential in that unit and then helping our students understand, you know, each standard in the unit and then therefore on the assessments um, and then evaluating, do, are they meeting the expected expectations of the standard? Um, are they kind of getting there and showing progress towards it or are we really not on our way to meeting the standard at all? Um, and then we've taken you know, sort of a point value so that it can still be more of a, a high school grade that equates to that. But it's been a much easier conversation with our students if they're not meeting a certain standard to have like, here's where, you know, or even giving them examples of what, you know, a met expectation looks like from other students and where they can still grow. And it's been a much easier conversation with students and their parents to show them, here's where your student currently is and here is where we want to sort of work towards um, as the year progresses. Um, so it's a lot of revisiting a lot of those standards, but also progressing through those standards. And then, you know, it's given students a lot of ways to say like, okay, maybe you didn't get it this time, but you'll have a chance to revisit it. Um, so there is still a grade because, you know, each, each of those sort of levels offers them certain points. Um, so we've tiered our assessments, you know, if they're bigger assessments, they are a larger amount of points. Um, usually those have multiple standards on it. And if it's a smaller assessment, it usually has fewer standards on it. And then you can really target which which standards are being met and which needs a little more work. Well, so certainly that's um, a ton of work to establish. And I'm interested to have kind of Laura and Stephanie who are on opposite ends of the, the grade span here, one elementary, one secondary. Uh, Laura, you introduced the concept of grades and points. And quite frankly, the idea of having grades and having numbers well is not um, something that is historically um, prevalent in education, it's kind of a more recent identification of progress. It's something that we believe, and I'm going to say we kind of being like our generation, the parental generation believe is critical to the learning process, really more because it connects with, connects with the experience we had, not necessarily because we can really justify its value and importance, not to suggest it's not important, but to defend it as a practice is really kind of challenging other than it's what I'm familiar with. It's more a familiarity. But at the elementary level, Stephanie, we don't have that. And so I'm interested in how you experience evaluation of student learning without the, I'll be my word, this will be my word, I don't want to speak for anybody else, the pressure of turning <laughs> learning into a number. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, for those of you that have had children or have seen our report cards in elementary, um, in our elementary schools, you'll notice that sometimes in their first trimester, um, 
very few will be getting ease and you won't see that because you're it's it's a process right it's you're starting out in your first trimester as a progression the the whole purpose in our standards based report cards and our grading and assessing is that it's a process that from trimester 1 to trimester 3 you're seeing growth and that's what i enjoy so much about these report cards and using them as a teacher is the students are able to see all right it's not just math that I'm struggling with. Where in math am I struggling? And that's where I'm progressing. Now for the next trimester, I know specifically where in that subject I need to focus my attention on. And the parents know as well where to focus with their child. And what areas in that subject specifically need more growth. So, you know, I've seen it firsthand how these report cards and how this uh, assessment strategy and this grading system has worked really well for our students. And um, parents are aware that it's, it's a growing mindset. You're, you're not striving for those ease right away, although it's, it's great to see, right? But that's, you wanna see progression from your child. You don't wanna see them consistently staying in the same place. You're looking for that growth. And quite frankly, it's not really, that's not realistic. Right. 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 So we all have different strengths in different areas where we need to grow. And so having that expectation set upon our youngest learners, I, I would argue any learner, but let's stick with the youngest learners, that excellence is expected right out of the gate is a completely unfair expectation and untenable. And quite frankly, probably teaches students, although they may, may not be able to articulate it this way, that learning is something to avoid, that struggle and failure is something that is bad. Um and I would argue it is not. It is something that helps us get better. Uh, so you mentioned E, though. I think E was what you mentioned. I want to like kind of talk about that because I'm not sure everyone has a firm understanding. So can you just kind of describe the elementary report card a little bit? Yeah. So a lot of us are used to that A, B, C, D or A, B, C, F, you know, whatever it might be. But um, in our elementary, we have EMPH and that stands for different things. So we have E, um, which would be exceeding your expectations, right? You're going above and beyond in this certain subject matter um, or exceeding your standards. Um, M would be meeting the standard perfectly. Um, P is you're progressing with health. That's where, uh, you know, on average, you're going to see a lot of students starting off because they are progressing. That's exactly what they're doing. Um, and H is you're having difficulty. H would be where, you know, it's, it's more one-on-one um, -on -one with a teacher, working side by side um, to maintain that growth um, a little further. But, you know, that's that's what I've seen the most is beneficial for the kids um, is they're understanding what the EMPH stands for. And they're not looking at it as, oh, I got a B in in uh, geometry. Right. They're looking at it as, oh, I'm progressing with these geometry standards. So specifically in that area, I need maybe a little more independent work. I can do a little more with it. Um, and it, even in fourth grade for me, the students understand their report cards and that then changes into being a more of an independent learner and a grower in themselves and growing their own learning. And correct me if I'm wrong, in the uh, elementary report card, mm -hmm. you guys have multiple things that you're reporting on and not just math, English, social studies, and so on, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we have our, our base subjects, so mm -hmm. for math per se, you have quite a few standards under math. Mm -hmm. So those are your New Jersey standards um, that we're taking each of those and looking at each individual standard. So equivalent fractions is going to be one, or e even more specific, adding equivalent fractions. Mm -hmm. Your next one is going to be, um, you know, uh, multiplying fractions. So it really breaks it apart for the parents, the teacher, and the students to see not just math as a whole I'm struggling with right. or I'm doing really well in. It's where in that subject do I need to build my progression. Yeah. 
And so at the, at the high school, I feel like, you know, so Kevin and Laura, I know you guys have structures in your own classrooms where you're communicating that. So let's talk about what that looks like uh, on a daily basis. You know, how are you using that same sort of structure of feedback in your classroom? Because I know it's happening. I, I have personally seen it happen in both of your classrooms. How are you using that mindset and that mentality that learning is a process and we can continue to get better and there isn't this expectation of immediate excellence? It's more an expectation of continued hard work. How are you kind of working on fostering that mindset with your, your students? Uh, well, for me, it's, it's a lot of informal. Uh, I don't even want to say assessments. A lot of it is just informal interactions with the students. We're talking about Spanish. A lot of these kids, especially Spanish 1, it's their first experience. And as you say, for me, I'm not a native speaker. So I, can, I almost think of that as a strength. I grew up in Brooklyn and Long Island. I went through the same issues that they did. So, and, and you have to struggle a little bit, and then you overcome it. So if a word is mispronounced, if a verb is misconjugated, it's not the end of the world. It's more like, hey, that was a good try. And, and that, it doesn't always have to be this big formal epiphany. It can be just a little pat on the back and say, you know, we don't say yo hablar, yo hablo. And then we just do that. And then eventually we just keep moving it along. We do have formal assessments at a certain point, but I'm, I'm a teacher that, that firmly believes in retaking Tests like just because I gave you a test on a Thursday and you didn't do well on it doesn't mean that you're always going to stink at conjugating verbs. We can go back, we can redo that. You can that's the progression. Let's go back and let's redo it so we see. Hey, you didn't do it so well last week. Now we're doing it a little bit better, a little bit better, and a little bit better. These guys aren't going to be native speakers. We're talking about Spanish one, Spanish two. They're not going to be native speakers at by the end of the year. So we keep the expectations realistic, and it's just this constant pat on the back where you guys aren't native speakers. You're going to make mistakes. That's okay. It's all right. So I'm just going to jump in and play the devil's advocate. And if I do this throughout this entire conversation, this is going to be a six-hour dialogue. So I'll try my best not to. Um, but so you mentioned retakes, right? Yes. Allowing that, that potential for students to demonstrate their learning uh, uh, over and over again. You know, that has been, you know, a much maligned topic in education. There are people that are adamantly against it. There are people who are super supportive of the idea and everywhere in the middle and I think I could probably argue each each position there. Um, so I'm just interested in how you would respond to someone who says, "Well, that fails to hold students accountable. That does that lacks res that diminishes responsibility because that's often the argument against you that." You can you can go after me. I, this is why I don't want to get myself in trouble. We give these tests, and I'm ready to give a test on a Friday. There are teachers that give tests every Friday. You're telling me that that's the material that these kids have had an hour and now they're ready for this assessment? And if they haven't taken that's our time. That's not their time, right? Everybody learns at a different pace. So if a student fails a test on, you know, indirect object pronouns, what am I going to say? Well, that's it for life. You're never going to be able to use an indirect object pronoun correctly. No, we, we hold them accountable. It's, it's not like you get to retake it willy-nilly. For right now, not for forever. Right, right. Come talk to me. We'll work through it. Are you studying? Let's do, the, let's do this exercise again. Here's an extra resource that you can use. Show me that you want to do better. It's not right. this willy-nilly, let's just do it a thousand times. But this notion of holding them accountable, holding them accountable in this, this arbitrary spot, to me, isn't about learning. We want progression. We want them to get better. And if we just say, you're done, that's it, you got a 40 end the story. We're going to move on next week to chapter three. You're kind of done. I'm sorry. Now what do you do? Uh, right. The, you just, especially in, in world language or in Spanish where everything's cumulative, right? If you, if you mess up the first chapter, you're probably going to mess up the second chapter. And I'm just setting them up for failure. I've got to go back and make sure that they're ready to go. And what you're looking at is the process over the product, right? Mm -hmm. And emphasizing that there's a process to everything. I mean, there's a scene from a television show 
which I love. It was just a newspaper article, uh, newspaper writer. And the editor said to her, okay, I want you to write it. I want you to rewrite it and then rewrite it again, then submit it to me. So even in the real world, there's that revision, right? And going back and relearning, right? It's, you know, so that's what's happening out there. I mean, real world, I compared it to a TV show, but you know, that's happening out there, right? It's not just one time and done. So, you know, you're emphasizing the process over the product there. And that's why even like with the uh, remarks that we have in the elementary world, those are great indicators of what's really happening, right? Instead of trying to put everybody into the data blender, here's your grade. And then, and, you know, and I think we're trying to report too much when it comes to a grade like that. You know? I think one thing that's really important too, and I think there's a, a sort of a wave of this coming to the high school, because I know Mr. Miller wants to make this a goal for next year, is that um, they have choice in assessment. And that's something that in the English department, I'm sure in world language too, right. whether it's speaking or writing, you have a choice in how you can show what you've learned. Um, and I think that's so important for kids because yes. not everybody's going to be a writer or not everybody's right. going to be a native speaker. Right. Um, so we giving kids options about how to show how you, or how to show what you've learned, whether it's through writing or through a presentation or through speaking or through something creative. Um, just recently with the AP kids, I gave them basically infinite possibilities to show, you know, what they learned throughout the course of the year. And they came up with stuff that I've never thought about. And right. and their work was authentic and real. Um, and that goes the same thing for the freshmen. If you give them choices, they're still going to be able to show that they meet that standard, but in a way that works for them. And I don't see why there's a problem with that. And that just, I mean, all I'm hearing you say is something super important, right? The summary of what I just heard you say is that it's a mindset shift from demonstrate your learning in a way you're comfortable and confident as opposed to, let's be fair, the experience we all probably had as students, which was demonstrate your learning in a way that I am confident and comfortable evaluating, or if we really want to be truthful, so you referenced getting yourself in trouble, so I think I'll take that one right now, the way it's easiest for me to to tabulate. And I listen, I was a high school teacher. I remember taking stacks of papers home to grade. You know, um, I can, I was a math teacher, so I can only imagine being an English teacher with essay mm-hmm. upon essay upon essay. But I was a math teacher. I, I looked at every step of every calculation because I wanted kids to think differently. And so just because the seven of us took a test, that might have been seven different ways that I needed to evaluate the kids. And I did that. Um, and so I think that's a huge, huge shift because the response then is, well, I don't have time to do that. And the interesting thing, and I'm going to, you know, not to intentionally segue back to elementary is, we already do that, right? Yeah. You all already do that. You structure classrooms in a way where you build in time to work with individual students, small groups of students. So I'm interested in your thoughts on this conversation as it pertains to what the high school teachers are saying, because they're doing some really cool stuff. I know we're doing it at the elementary level too. Yeah, I think what's really important is that we include students in that process, right? So what's really nice at the elementary level is we have that time where we could meet with students Um, and allow them to set goals for themselves and also track their own goals and take ownership over their own learning. And what does that look like? I think feedback is a huge component, right? So we want to make sure that our feedback to students from teachers and from peers to one another is timely and specific and allowing time for students to have conversations with their peers and have conversations with their teachers um, to really progress in certain skills. So when you think about a writing piece, for example, Students are writing a variety for a variety of topics and genres and allowing students even to just think aloud and talk to one another to say, like, here's what's on my mind. What do you think about this? I feel like those deep conversations really push kids to their full potential to be able to just hear another perspective. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree, Alyssa. Um, and I have to say, while my upper teachers here were talking, it, it took me back a minute because as an elementary teacher, it's hard it's hard for me to comprehend giving a, a nine-year-old the choice between what assessment. Um, it, it's that's a little hard for me. Them many ways, right? So up then, that point. that's what I was just thinking yeah. in my head right now was, well, it's not necessarily giving them these choices. It's I'm assessing in multiple ways already. So it's by grabbing those small groups, by you know, uh, having them vocalize uh, the answer to a question. Um, it's not always this paper and pencil test that we're kind of used to thinking of. Um, and that it, mixed with our report cards has just, it, it's really made for great growth. I think giving them opportunities to show their knowledge in various aspects, not just this formal assessment where we're sitting down taking, taking our tests, you know, you brought up the report card there. I'd love for us to kind of transition a little bit here to the changes we're making in the report card. So if you want to Chuck to talk about the difference that were the different changes we're making in the different grade bands and stuff moving forward. Yeah, I think it's a great time to do that. So when I arrived in the district eight years ago, we already had a K to five committee working on revising the elementary report card. Mm -hmm. uh, and they did some really incredible work over the span of 18 months to synthesize the standards, which you heard Stephanie and Alyssa talk a little bit about, so that when report cards go home on a trimester basis, we can report on progress pertaining to large clusters of standards that we have synthesized hopefully in a way that a non-educator could read and understand, right? Recognizing that all professions have their own language, um, sending home information in a professional language to an audience that may not have the same training is unfair. It'd be no different than, you know, instead of my doctor saying, you know, you sprained your knee, giving me some sort of a medical kind of explanation that I'm, I don't know what that means, right? So our, that committee worked really hard to establish that language. We've had it in place for eight years, and typically you want to revisit um, stuff every five years in education. We did have the interruption of COVID-19 in there. So this summer, we have committees getting together for K-5 to who are going to review and revise as necessary their current report card structures um, insofar as the standard bands that they report on. Um, but our committee in our second meeting, so I referenced our committee at our second meeting, which was in January of this year, uh, we made some additional progress once we started to hammer out the, the definitions of grading and assessment and how those are relevant in our classrooms and in our, our actual practice. Uh, we made some changes that Jeff's referencing here that you can see on next year's report card, and those changes are as follows. In grades 5 through 12, we will now have an open comment box, right? So our secondary report cards have long had just kind of the the bucket of comments, yes. you know, number Satis 7, number 12. Satisfactory performance. Right. Yes. Uh, yes. Pleasure to have in class. Number 8. Yeah. <laughs> number eight. But, yeah, exactly. See, and I remember I was a high school teacher. I knew those numbers too. So, But as a parent, as a consumer, that doesn't tell me anything about my kid. Now, does that mean every teacher is going to write a narrative comment? Nope. Um, that doesn't happen currently. Our elementary teachers have the option for narrative comments, and sometimes when it's appropriate, the teachers do, and sometimes when it's not, they don't. Steph, you were going to jump in. Go ahead. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is on top of our standards-based report card, we have the ability to make custom comments, and those have become so much more beneficial. I mean, you include information in there that's obviously individualized, and that's what parents want to see. They, you know. It's it's easier to put what it sounds like what you guys are doing with that drop down. Number seven, down. number eight, number seven, right. number eight. <laughs> but you know, I, parents and the kids appreciate it, and just the kids just wind up exposing themselves to the report cards because they want to see what the teachers are writing, mm -hmm. and 
once they see the comments, then then they're looking, oh, let me now check out my grades. You know, if we have a, a nine-year-old doing that, that's that's quite impressive. And that sets them up for that uh, ability to do that when they get older. It's just repetitive knowledge at that point. I think it's a great conversation for parents to have with their child as well um, to say, look, like this is the, the comment that was made. What does this mean? Like, tell me what your goals are. Tell me what you're currently working on. I know many parents always comment to me and say like, oh, I asked them what they did today. And sometimes they're not able to vocalize it. So using that as a starting point to a deeper conversation, um, just to have that common um, language with one another. Um, to hear really what they're doing, how they're progressing, and using it just as a starting point, and then to open an even further conversation with your child's teacher about it. Right. And so the other change that we're making in grades five through eight, which is our middle-level report cards, we're going to transition our specials and our cycles into more of this uh, standards-based reporting structure that our elementary team is using. Um, because what we want to recognize and acknowledge, and I can I can proudly say that this movement really came from the teachers themselves, um, they recognize that one of the great values of middle-level cycles is exciting students about the potential that they have for their learning experience as they move into the high school. How do they figure out what they like, what they want to pursue, and how do we encourage and foster that? And how do we give more specific information? So w when I say that, what I'm going to be honest, that translates into longer report cards, more pages, right? The high school report card is very traditional. Um, it's a one-pager. It's pretty much got two pieces of information, a, B, C, D, F, and attendance, right? How, how frequently were you here? Mm -hmm. But if, as a parent, if you pick that up, it's quick to consume, but um, it's not real valuable. So I guess the comparison I would give is the elementary report card, which is much more lengthy, three and four pages, depending on the grade level. While that's longer and harder to consume, gives you far deeper information about your students' learning, where they might be struggling, and let's be fair, where they might be excelling in something to celebrate, um, it's it's kind of the difference, you know, what you talk about nutrition, you have empty calories, right? There's a difference between having a real healthy meal, the way that high school, the elementary report card presents, and you something quick that's that's consumable, but doesn't really give you the value you're looking for, you know? Um, and so we get caught in this cycle, which I think is the next steps of our committee it was like, well, but we need that high school transcript thing for colleges. Like, well, truth is, and we'll get more into this at another time, colleges aren't really still looking for that thing. They're looking at much more facets of a, of a student as a young person, as a young adult, than just what their transcript shows, because they've started to recognize that an A, in if we all taught the same class, an A in our own classes aren't the same, let alone an A from our school to the next school, let alone an A from our school to the next state. And so colleges are starting to recognize that. And so they're looking at a more well-rounded student data pool. What other information can we, can we harvest? And so how can we help students really represent themselves in a more comp comprehensive fashion. So we're, we're making progress towards that, but the, you know, our teaching staff has done really innovative things with fostering student learning. And we kind of talked about that. And I do want to go back to it with feedback in particular, how do we utilize feedback? We use this expression all the time in education. Well, we're preparing kids for the real world. I often say, and I kind of sound skeptical when I say it, and I, maybe that's intentional. Maybe it's accidental. It's probably both. Are we? No. Like, are we? I would say in, yes in some places, but no in other places. No, and Jeff told that little story. I mean, you hear this from teachers all the time. You talked about accountability, right? Well, they're not accountable. How many times do we as teachers make mistakes right. and your supervisor doesn't come down and say, get out, you know, right. the higher and down the road, you know, hit the bricks. The real world is, Aristotle talked about, mimesis is the way we learn. We know it. It's the imitation of an action. That's the way we learn as homo sapiens. So you imitate the action, you fail. You imitate the action, you fail. Then sooner or later, you get it, and you get it with guidance. 
So, and I think that's the way the real world works. Maybe there's some high-powered places out there. You know, Wall Street, you make a bad trade, you're out. <laughs> this isn't Wall Street. And, and that's 1%. Right. Like most of us, the real world is, gee, I made a mistake. Let me. How do I own it? How do and I? How do I grow? And, and exactly. And so the, that's the real world. I think when teachers talk about it, I think it's just like, well, I'm holding them accountable. Like, well, you're not really holding them accountable. You're being punitive. It makes it's arbitrary. It makes no sense. I mean, hold I, them to the standard you're hold to uh, here at the school. We're not held to the same standard. I would much prefer a standard where a kid learns to just say, "I made a mistake." That's it. Can you help me? Exactly. That would be the the ideal. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we tend to try to hold them to a higher standard than we're held to as professionals. Yeah. And, and a lot of times it just doesn't. And I think so many students make sense. struggle with that. Say, yes. I need help. Like when yeah. we meet with students one on one and, you know, we're meeting with offering feedback. It's often we would like to see you just ask when you need sure. help. Sometimes that's the best piece of feedback. Just let us know if you need. Well, something. you said it before. Fail. It's OK to say, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. That's my job. I will help right. you. <laughs> if you're all perfect, I wouldn't have a job. Yeah. So let me help you get better. And so, I, I'm going to say some of that's our fault, not us, the seven of us, or the collective group, sorry, six of us, or the collective industry. It's just education as a whole. Somewhere between kindergarten and high school, the kids lose it, whether it's our fault, their fault, some probably more likely a combination, that desire to be creative, that desire to ask questions, that desire to get messy in learning, that, that we go from that feeling in the elementary ranks to like this expectation of perfection well, and immediate understanding. Well, but oh. because that's a competition, who who develops and designs that competition, right? I, I, we Us. we definitely play a part in it, mm -hmm. you know. But I think it was we tell we talk about. I'm sorry, but we talk about it all the time. Like, well, wait till you get to the high school; things are going to be different. You can't get away with this. You know, you're getting away <laughs> with this in middle school. Where do you get to the high school? That that we do it. Like we create these expectations of now you're being filtered. Now here comes the rubric, and it's like now you now you're going to really be. It was nice that you played with the crayons. Now I got to grade you. You know, instead of go ahead, like be creative, and we'll figure it out. Cool. Go ahead, Steph. You're going to jump in. Do it. I, I'm curious to hear your input on this. Um, just because when I hear competition, I, I understand what you're saying. To me, though, competition could be beneficial in a child's life. And that's where I'm struggling because, you know, it's not always going to be. We are all going to, you know what, keep trying. You'll get it. You'll all get it. That's not really uh, like always how it works. And that's where I'm struggling because that competition could could be, you know, have, have some, some assets. Yeah, and we talk be. about it SEL, and that right there is, But you know, I think big. it always, and if we're creative, that's fine, but I think the competition comes down to, you got an A, I got a B, you're better mm -hmm. than me. That's, I think, the way we break it down in education, where the competition simply becomes this race for letters, instead of, can we be more creative in coming up with a way to value your creativity, your thinking outside mm -hmm. the box? You tried, right? Maybe this person got it, you tried a number of ways, and you're not there yet, but you're not giving up. Can we value that? So yeah, I mean, competition can be healthy, but I think it can also be destructive if you're saying, well, you're not going to make it. And I think a lot of times we do that once we have the grades where it's like, you're a C, you're a B, you're an A. Mm -hmm. Well, you're better than me. I lost. What can I do? Mm -hmm. So I think we have to be more creative in coming up with rubrics or scales that value the creativity more than just the product at the end, the process. And, and I think that's kind of the next step. So um, th I think that's where we need to start to head as we, st as we really wrestle as a collection of professionals with how do we make assessment valuable? How do we utilize that thing, as Alyssa said earlier, to teach and learn um, a process where students can be a part of matching learning with evaluation and standards, right? Laura talked about that in her classroom. Kevin and Stephanie did too. How do we make that a, um, 
a structure where K to 12 is connected, where we celebrate students' growth process, still hold them highly accountable, right? We kind of, you know, without necessarily making it a competition basis, but recognizing that transition into adult life does determine, does require a high level of commitment when we have found, and we've kind of talked about in other podcasts, we have found when students are working on high interest area in high interest areas, they are likely to be more motivated, more likely to be more successful. Recognizing life isn't always that way, right? Sometimes you have to do things that may not be your choice. Uh, and that's part of the overall process of, of moving into a l- adult life. But I'm excited for our committee's continued dialogue because it gets, it's fun for me. I mean, it may be a little uncomfortable, but that makes it fun of different various uh, viewpoints and perspectives, not only with how do we help and support students throughout the grades? How do we really meet the demand of what the real world is looking for? How do we partner that with what colleges are really looking for, recognizing that not every kid is college bound and that's totally cool. Not every kid has the same um, aspirations. How do we integrate into our role as educators the question, hey kid, what do you want to do with your life? And how can I help you get there? Right? That's kind of our 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 task. So anyway, we wanted this to be a first conversation where we could push out the dialogue because parents should anticipate an update to the report card process. The secondary uh, level is really going to be an updated uh, opportunity for commentary from teachers. Um, The elementary level is really going to have some revised language that now that we've had a chance to implement the process for the last couple of years, we're going to revise it. We have some revised standards. So uh, lots of really exciting things. My hope is that two things, two things come out of this. One, we are communicating more comprehensively with our parents and students about the progress, the learning progress of students. And two, we can use that tool to encourage students to continue to move forward, right? Recognizing that not everything in life is easy. Some things are challenging. Some things are easy. We are all good at different things in different ways and um, allowing that to be something that's part of the journey. All right. Last, any last thoughts? All right. I really appreciate the conversation. This is the first of what will be many. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody.